And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line, as always, by the Athletics beat writer, Tim Britton. And Tim, I'm very angry. You're very what? There are so many things to be very the, angry about. Four games the in the season. The Mets won a game, and I don't feel good about it. Is what I'll say. I, I I don't know that angry is the right word, and I I don't know if this is an indication that I'm old. Like it might be just that more that I'm old than that I have a a reasonable gripe because Michael Conforto, I guess, practiced a successful baseball strategy in leaning into strike three to win Thursday's game in walk-off fashion against the Marlins. And I just, and and I know, I know from their reaction that, that the Mets broadcasters are very much with me on this one, but they're also, uh, old, oh, well, they're older than I am, right? And so maybe this is a, a threshold that, that splits when you turn 40. I, I don't know, but I feel like they got away with one, and I feel like, now I'm a little worried about what the Marlins are going to do to Michael Conforto when they next play on Saturday. And mostly I feel like I feel bad for the Marlins. And, and that's just not how I want baseball to be. It's, it's funny. I was listening to a different podcast. You know, I, I don't just listen to ours. I, in fact, I don't listen to ours at all. Um, <laughs> a couple of weeks back, I think it was the, the Defector Distraction podcast where one of the questions was like, what is the worst way for your team to win a game? Uh, and I think they were talking about it mainly in, in football terms. Uh, but this seemed like it's it's up there. Uh, one of the worst ways, like a a bad call that's like paired with a, a strategy that you don't really like. And and, and to be fair to, to Conforto, I don't think he's thinking in the moment, like stick that elbow out, mm-hmm. get that, that hit batter. I think part of it is like a reaction to it. I, I don't I've never. Faced it's a, a, it's yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's 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 inconceivable almost that someone could think so logically in that moment as to think, let me stick my elbow out. But like if you watch the video, he sticks his elbow out. Right. It's just kind of how he does it. Um, like, you know, I've never faced an 87 mile an hour slider. I don't know how, how much you can think through the process of I'm not going to be able to hit this. It looks like it's in the strike zone. Let me do this. I, I don't think he knew when he, you know, if there was a, a decision to stick the elbow out, I don't think he knew it was in the strike zone there. I think that was just, oh, this is coming in. I've got a shot to get hit by this, which wins right. the game. Because um, he, he said afterward he didn't. He didn't realize how far out his elbow was, uh, and the, the home plate umpire Ron Culpa basically, you know, said after the game that it, it was the wrong call. That it, you know, the ball um, was in a the mea culpa, zone. a mea culpa. Yes, everyone. <laughs> the 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 moment we've all been waiting for with Ron Culpa's <laughs> career, a chance to use the very basic pun. Uh, so it's you know it's it was like an awkward way to end the game. You know, so much of that inning had felt so good for the Mets with McNeil getting the the kind of cathartic home run to lead off. Uh, Guillaume beating out the infield single, Nimmo going the other way for another extra base hit for him. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It looked like it was set up, you know, first it was it was like, oh, Lindor in the home opener is going to get a chance to walk it off uh, on Gary Carter's birthday. So you're feeling really cool about that. Uh, and then when Conforto comes up, you're thinking, well, this is a good, um, you know, this is a redemptive story arc for him after the last couple of days where he hasn't hit with runners in scoring position. And even if he doesn't get it done, you've got Alonzo there to, to walk it off potentially. Like it, there were so many nice ways for that inning to end. And this was not one of them. And yeah, I guess if you are a Mets fan, because I've I've seen I've seen people on on both sides of it, and I've seen a lot of people say like, "Hey, a winner's a win," and I'll take it. No one's going to remember this in September, and that's true. And and I feel that way. Like I'm happy they won the game. But if you think that's okay, and you think that's an okay way to win a game, think of how you'd feel if Chase Utley did it. Because certainly <laughs> Chase Utley did it on multiple occasions. And like you can respect the heck out of Chase Utley for being a guy who does anything to win. But it's not it's not what you want to see. I don't know. It, it, it reminds me of flopping in, in soccer or basketball. And that is like my least favorite thing in sports. And right, like, because it's, okay, fine. If you want to say it's a good strategy, like fine, but then change the rules. Like do something to, to make that not a good strategy because that's not the point of the competition here you know uh, like that's not why you the the i don't know because because getting hit by a pitch we know is like a repeatable skill so there's like there's a lot of levels to it and and uh it's it's very nuanced tim i guess but i don't i it makes me feel lousy i feel like it's a lousy thing to do i don't think michael conforto is going to make a habit of it so it's not like something i'm concerned about like moving forward but uh, it makes me feel concerned about how the Marlins will respond because that is in baseball code, like undoubtedly something that that will merit a plunking. I wish they wouldn't do that, but they're going to do that at some point. And uh, and it makes me think like, hey, can you just make that reviewable? Can you just make that a reviewable call? Like, I get that it's a judgment call, but why not be able to make that judgment with more evidence? Yeah, it's. It's got to be a, a terrible feeling as an umpire when you're going to the headset and like the guy on the other end is just like, yeah, you messed it up. We can't change it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you like, you, like, what, what, you what, completely blew this call, but like, what can we do? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. They were the, like, Joe West was sitting in the, in the replay booth being like, it's the mea culpa. Here it comes. <laughs> it's my time. I'm not, I'm not sure entirely, by the way, that, that we will all forget this by September. Certainly Marlins fans, if they're, you know, if they're in a, a playoff race uh, of any sort, will not forget this game and the way it ended. Uh, like, I think, you know, I can't see Marlon Anderson, uh, who who has worked for the Mets, uh, without thinking of, A, his inside the park home run. Uh, so this will be the second straight podcast where we, we make... We, we talk about the June 2005 game against the Angels. Uh, or the... Uh, interference call uh, against the Phillies late in the 2007 season, I believe, on a double play ball where the Mets were going to score the tying run and, and they called uh, Anderson for a sliding out of the baseline against Chase Utley's team of all teams, Ted. Uh, and I remember that uh, 14, 13 or 14 years later. Yeah, uh, and, I, I and it was that, actually, eight, but. that came up on a podcast I, I participated in recently. So it's like, it's not just you. It's not just people who have been following the sport like professionally and closely for that for that era. It, it is that is still on the on the minds of Mets fans. Like and so Marlins fans will remember Michael Conforto for this for the rest of his career, probably. Like he will be booed in Miami the way Robinson Cano was booed in Kansas City for that All Star oh, Game thing. That's like my it's just my favorite rivalry of all time. Yeah, it's just it's just going to continue unabated for the rest of the time he he plays baseball. And you, you know what? Like I'm sorry. Like that's 
that's punishment for it. Like that's, you kind of earned that. Like you kind of, you can, again, I don't say I blame him for doing it because it won the game. But when you do it, you have to know this is going to make people really mad at me. And now I'm going to have to deal with getting booed every time I go to Miami for the rest of my career. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what, what Miami's approach is on Saturday. Uh, they've got uh, Trevor Rogers on the mound. Uh, and, you know, I, th- I saw after like Jeff McNeil's bat flip, there were fans wondering if that was going to get him uh, a pitch inside. Uh, that was a wonderful bat. That was a wonderful a, bat flip. A terrific bat flip. One of the, that was a late a September. Five, a top yeah. five Mets <laughs> bat flip. If I weren't so pro bat flip, again, and this is an old guy thing, I, I might have been, it, reminded, it had a little bit of the vibe um, in the World Series. And it was a World Series, but if you remember the Charlie Culberson home run uh, against the Dodgers, I think in, in the 2018 World Series, and like it was in the second inning of a game or something, and Charlie Culberson was just like, he just walked off the World Series in, in the way he rounded the bases and like, he should be psyched. He's Charlie Hulk Culberson and he hit a World Series home run. McNeil should be psyched. He hit a massive, awesome home run for his first hit of the year to put the Mets to tie up the game. Um, I, and I he think, looked. Psyched. I think Culberson's home run was like a ninth inning home run that didn't tie the game. Like it brought the Dodgers within a run. Maybe and, it was that. I remember whatever the situation was, it was like, oh, like I get it, but yeah, dial it back. And everyone thought that Charlie Culberson thought he had tied the game, that he was just going nuts. And I, I forget where we landed on that. I forget if he was ever asked after the game, like, did you not know the score or were you just that excited anyway? Because he was like pointing to the crowd, like he was going nuts. And it was like, yeah, now it's, uh, you know, five to four Astros. Right. And that was a little bit of the vibe I got from McNeil. Like he, he threw his bat like it, it was a walk-off and it, it tied the game. It wasn't a walk-off. I still think it for a guy who had hit the ball as hard as he had, and it's on his birthday too. I love when I find out that like oh, professional that. athletes still really like the birthday thing. You know, I remember oh, if it's his birthday. If it's his birthday, I'm cool with it. Ted, Ted I changed third, my, I changed my mind. In third grade, I remember playing at recess and returning an interception for touchdown on my birthday. Uh, that's another thing that I remember 26 <laughs> years later or whatever. Uh, and it was really cool. I felt so good about it. I told everyone how it was my birthday. Well, actually, in third grade, everyone just knows it's your birthday because that's like you show up at in homeroom that day. morning with yeah. cookies and you're like, it's my birthday. Everyone loved me today. Uh, so uh, I can imagine, you know, it, it's funny when like a guy who's turning, I think McNeil turned 28 or t- 29 maybe, uh, is still like, is excited about his birthday. It's like cute. Uh, it, it reminds me of the time I returned an interception for touchdown. Uh, on do you my remember? Birthday. Do you remember this? Like, who was the quarterback? Uh, that I don't remember. Uh, but I remember it was like an out pattern, and you know, you, you it was it was basically jumped it. I jumped the out pattern, which see, you know, I didn't. I never actually played uh, organized football, uh, but it seemed like it was always the coolest thing you could do in football was intercept an out pattern and run it back. Well, because because then the. Yeah, then the touchdown's right there for you. Yeah, uh, well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, I've been very proud of it for a very long time. (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, 
Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Something else that did not make me feel good in, in last night's game. And this one I know you've been answering a lot of questions about today. Um, the Mets got six good innings out of Ty Walker. He looked great. I thought he looked great. I thought he looked even better than his his six solid innings in the in the scorebook. Um, they got three good innings out of the bullpen, out of Miguel Castro, Trevor May, and Edward Diaz, and that's that's good, right? Like three three good innings out of out of your the guys who are your back your back end right now. That feels good. Then when there's the tenth inning as a possibility, it's Jury's Familia warming up in the bullpen and. I, that doesn't make me feel good. Like, and I know it's maybe it's unreasonable to hope for like four guys that are all clicking in the same bullpen at the same time, but it's only the tenth inning, and you got six innings out of your starter, and you're going to Familia, who just like I, I just don't feel like I could trust in any way right now. Yeah, I, th- I think that is like they miss Seth Lugo obviously for so yeah. many reasons because he's a guy who can bridge the seventh and eighth for you on on certain days uh, like a you know a day like yesterday you can imagine uh lugo pitching you know coming in in the seventh pitching the seventh and eighth for you uh and then you would have uh you know if you wanted to pitch diaz in the ninth then you'd have may and castro for the 10th like miguel castro is the guy you want pitching that 10th inning if you've used your good guys already like he, you want him to be that part of your mm-hmm. bullpen in the hierarchy uh and without lugo uh, Castro is instead the seventh inning guy at a time when you know most of your starters are not pitching a seventh inning. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think you can expect that out of Degrom maybe uh, more than half the time or something like that or around half the time. Uh, but it's going to be rare for anyone else in that rotation to pitch the seventh. Uh, so it, it leaves you thin. Uh, I think your hope is that someone else that that either Familia finds the strike zone for the first time since 2018, really with a consistent basis, uh, or. Uh, that someone else in that bullpen steps up, and and obviously no one else is really off to a promising start. Like Jacob Barnes pitched a decent inning after he threw one of the most center cut fastballs you could possibly throw uh, to JT Real Muto for that. To JT Real Muto, which Wednesday. that was. Were you watching that on the broadcast? Because I think it was Ron Darling who said like JT Real Muto loves to jump all over the first pitch with a new pitcher, and then you just then like that's the that's the first pitch. Like if 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 Ron Darling has this scouting report. Who, where, what does James McCann have? Right. So, I, yeah, I was, I was watching that, and I was like, ooh, that, that might make it a good time for a cutter because, you know, you think it's a fastball, uh, and then it darts off the barrel, uh, and you get weak contact. That would be, you know, perfect for Barnes in that situation. But, no, it was, I mean, it was a fastball so down the middle that Mike Piazza, who never swung at the first pitch, would have swung at that pitch. Uh, it's just too appealing. Uh, so, beyond that, he pitched well, but that's a pretty big uh, asterisk to throw on that. We haven't seen Gazelman yet. We haven't seen Hildenberger yet. He just got called up. Uh, for, for Dellen Batances, who was throwing as slow as he's ever thrown in a major league game uh, on Wednesday. So that's not promising. Uh, you, you know, Loop has gotten the one chance and, and did not pitch very well uh, on Monday, to put it politely. Uh, so, you know, it's it's early to worry too much about anything because with, with all these mm-hmm. guys, it's, it's an outing, basically. It's, it's one right. outing that hasn't gone the way they want. Uh, but uh, this And I would say, like... To be fair, I already feel good about about Trevor May, right? Like I was after the first game, uh oh. But now it's like, oh yeah, this guy's fine. Like he'll, he'll like, and we talked about that. Like he's not a he's not a guy you're really worried about. And I'm already over that. And I know about the small sample size thing. It's just, 
Uh, it's just when when it's when it's the tenth inning in a tie game, and you're looking down there, and you're and you're like, oh, that's their option. It's it's Familia. I don't know. Who who did you feel better about, Familia pitching that tenth inning or Hunter Strickland pitching the tenth inning last year in the second home game of the oh, season? Anybody but anybody but Hunter. I mean, I take Familia on the chance it like clicks, and uh, Hunter Strickland just has that. And I guess it's it's confirmation bias just because I've seen him allow so many big home runs late in games. <laughs> but it's just like, oh, it, this is like this is the guy who's going to put the ball ninety six like high and and over the plate. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I feel better about, I feel like I would have felt better about Gazelman than, than Familia in that spot. But again, this is like nitpicking. The point is like, I think you just need, they need Seth, you said it, they need Seth Lugo back in like the worst way. You don't realize that guy's value to the team until he's gone for a while. It's like, oh man, that would be good to have. And it's, it's interesting. I, I did a, a live Q and A on our, our website on, on Friday morning. Uh, and someone mentioned basically like, you know, who, uh, what, what else can they get out of their bullpen? Who can be called up? Like, can one of their starters go to the pen and be good? Uh, and that's Lucchese not a, a, good. Right. That's not something you're thinking about right now because you need those, you know, you need Lucchese and Peterson in your rotation. But when Carrasco comes back, when Syndergaard comes back, it will be interesting to think about what uh, guys like Lucchese and Peterson could do for you out of the pen if you wanted to go that route. I think it's likelier with Lucchese than with Peterson uh, because of where they are in their careers. But Lucchese, mm -hmm. you know, looked good uh, with a little bit of help from a, an inside strike calls uh, on on Wednesday. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see what he looks like over the course of a full start, uh, even if he comes in after an opener. Uh, but that's a guy that, you know, if, if you're starting to think about who internally could help you in the pen down the stretch, it would not be the craziest thing in the world if he emerged as someone who could go a couple innings for you. Uh, you know, when you're trailing, you know, like, like we were talking about, like a guy who could pitch the seventh and eighth yesterday when you're down a run and keep you in it. Uh, Cause mm -hmm. that's a really important role that you don't want to be using your, your a guys out of the bullpen every day when you're within two or three runs, you know, that that's just pitching those guys too often. Or you just have enough a guys, right. Or like, if you have five of them, then you can use a couple on that spot. I, I don't know. I <laughs> right. mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it, I suppose, but in, in none of the ways does it feel like right now the Mets have enough. In the, but, but again, like like you said, like Hildenberger's up now, Patances uh, on the DL. Maybe, you know, Patances, as as you wrote, like is always a guy who throws harder across the season. He's not going to be throwing 99 anymore. Like that's just clear. But maybe, maybe, you know, some rest and some some rehab and whatever else. And he's up to like... 94 95 and he's and he's vaguely effective as a as like a middle of the bullpen type guy but i don't think you can hope for that much out of more out of him i don't know what you can hope for out of familia because of the the control issues and then like miguel castro we're now taken as a given but like if you look over miguel castro's career stats is not this guy's not a given either right he, he's had his own control issues that's been one of the encouraging things with him so far is that i, mm -hmm. I don't think he's walked anyone i'd have to go back and look but he, he has been kind of uh He's given up some hard contact, uh, even in the the outings that he he didn't allow. Or, you know, on on Monday he gave up some hard contact, even though he didn't allow a run, and he allowed one on Tuesday. Uh, but he, he hasn't been like consistently falling behind in the count the way we've seen with someone like Familia uh, and the way he did at times last year. So I think that's that is an encouraging sign that he's carried over from the spring is that he's not in two zero and three one counts with consistency. Just I'm just thinking this is a mental tangent, but I wanted to just briefly touch on on my man. Ty Walker, because of of how good I thought he looked. Like. I thought I, you know, it's like you watch this guy pitch, and I've seen him pitch before, and I guess uh, you always sort of have that 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 prospect hype in your in your mind forever with these guys. But like 
watching Walker pitch, you could say like, you I can see why people saw a superstar in this guy because it just like when he was hitting his spots and and I thought he was getting squeezed for for a lot of that game and it just felt like he was he felt like he was really in command and it was I thought very encouraging. Yeah, I mean, he looked, uh, for a guy who only made a couple of, of starts in the Grapefruit League in spring and, and all against the Cardinals, uh, he looked really good. Uh, that, that fastball was sitting 95-96 throughout the outing, which he hadn't done really since like 2013 or 2014 with consistency. Uh, so if he's throwing, you know, part of that is the adrenaline. He hadn't pitched in front of fans uh, since like 2018, basically. Uh, and it's it's your first start for a new team. So there is some, some adrenaline there, but he was able to carry that consistently throughout the game. Uh, and if he's a guy who's pitching at 95 instead of at 93, that, that's really helpful. Uh, that helps that split change that he's been using, uh, that, that he, he likes a lot, that helps the slider, uh, that looked pretty good. Like, he had everything working for him yesterday. Uh, and if, you know, if you will take six innings and, and two earned runs from him every time out there. Uh, and that seemed like, like, that seemed very doable for him yesterday uh, against Miami. Uh, and and something he could carry into the future if he's you know this is a guy who when everyone is healthy is probably your number five starter if everything's going well uh, and that's that's a really nice guy to have in that role uh, someone who's relatively reliable now but still has some potential to to grow and then i remind you this is a guy who once provided me free tacos <laughs> um so i am uh, yeah i'm i'm what, all about it uh, very much about it uh, what, would, what would what would taiwan walker have to do uh as a met to make the first thing you think about when you hear his name, not the time he provided you with free tacos. Uh, provide me with more free tacos, like a, a second time. I know because I guess that would just remind me that he had done it twice. Um, he would win the World Series if he if he's on the mound when the when the Mets win the World Series, the first of my like conscious bets fan lifetime. Yeah, then he'll be the World Series guy. Um, if there is a perfect game in the World Series, then he'll be the perfect game in a World Series guy. That could do it. But I think he might still be the perfect game in a World Series, in a World Series clinching, Game 7, perfect game guy who wants gave me free tacos. I love the idea that like a perfect game in any other game of the World Series, even in the regular season, like just not enough. No. No, no, no. You gotta no, do it, no. it when tacos. the stakes are high. Can, could you imagine yeah. a guy throwing a game one perfect? That's ridiculous. Like throw it when it matters, okay? Save it right. for game Yeah, seven. no, no. Seven, seven. Then And then you'll be, that will, I mean, again, they were good tacos. They were good tacos. Uh, so um, I have been made aware uh, from you and your chat this morning that the Mets, and this is, I'm proud of myself for not knowing this, but I guess the Mets have some poor numbers with, with runners in scoring position in through the first four games of the season. Yeah, so they are six for 32. Can you 32. hear the disdain in my voice? <laughs> six for 32. Uh, it's one of those things that because it was such an issue for them last season, uh, it feels like a bigger issue this season. Last season, I kept saying how... Uh, you know, that in a, in a normal 162-game season, you would expect this kind of thing to normalize over time. The Mets, uh, when you, you know, you know the stat like uh, T-O-P-S plus, which is you compare a team in one circumstance versus how they are mm -hmm. in normal circumstances. The, the Mets performed worse with runners in scoring position compared to how they performed as an offense otherwise than like any other team in this century last year. Uh, right. I think it was dating back to like the 98 Devil Rays or something. It might have even been. So that must be that must be like a, a massive, like a, a, a psychological 
perhaps a contagious psychological condition that is keeping them all from performing in the clutch, even though they're professional athletes who got themselves to the major leagues, presumably while playing in some pretty difficult situations with a lot of eyes on them and a lot of pressure. Yes. Um, <laughs> and the, the interesting thing is I looked at it before this season because I was going to write about it in spring training. Like, can you practice hitting with runners in scoring position or anything? Like, do Yes, you, do you, you, you can. Do you think about you it can. at all? You absolutely but, can. You, you do it exactly the same way. You practice hitting in every other situation. And I, I looked at the numbers from last year. And the thing that was really interesting was that, like, all of their poor performance, if you just averaged it out, was from, like, basically guys who were no longer with the team. It was, like, the wrong guys getting the at-bats with runners in scoring position. The, the Mets, as a team, without runners in scoring position last year, had an 842 OPS. Uh, the Mets... Uh, players who were returning from last year's team to this year's team, that's 10 guys, uh, when they batted with runners in scoring position last year, had an 841 OPS. There's some some discrepancies within there, like Conforto, Conforto's uh, batting average with runners in scoring position was low. I think Pete Alonso's was much higher than I expected, than it seemed during the season. Uh, but it averaged out to essentially how the team had performed otherwise. So uh, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's the kind of deal that anyone... Uh, that, that a lot of fans are making it out to be. My one concern would be uh, when you hit poorly with runners in scoring position and it becomes a talking point, then you start thinking about it a little bit more. And it's the kind of thing that uh, becomes kind of self-fulfilling. Uh, like Brandon Nimmo talked about this last year, that we want, mm -hmm. to, we want not to treat hitting with runners in scoring position like it's a special at-bat, but when we're, con we're focused so much on treating it like it's not a special at-bat, you start treating it like it's a special at-bat. Uh, and so one of my concerns would be that like, we're already talking about it, and Louis Rojas is already talking about it. Um, you know, after the the first four games of the season, one saving grace: they do have a ton of walks and hit batsmen, even before the Conforto thing, uh, with runners in scoring position. Their on base percentage, even though they're they're batting below two hundred, their on base percentage with runners in scoring position is actually over four hundred. So, oh, uh, so then they're not even the having kind of they're not even struggling. That's not even struggling. That's just they haven't had the pitches to drive yet, and they're showing off their discipline. <laughs> so, right, I, I it's think true it's, though. It's going to even out. Yeah, it's going to even out. It's it is a small sample size. I'm not going to sing the song yet. I don't want to. It's got <laughs> like it's it. got to be it's got to it's got to feel natural and special to me and it feels forced right now cuz people have requested it. And like this it was a small sample size song, which if you don't know is a, a little number, a little ditty I recorded back in my in my SNY days uh, that is still makes the rounds on the internet and gets a bunch of plays uh, on YouTube around this time of the year. It's good up until Memorial Day. Because the sample is going to remain small through that. And I think that's a, an important thing to keep in mind about last year in general. Is it was a small sample size. The whole season was a small... was like, if, if this stuff had been happening by May, you'd be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, but it's May. And, and you'd move on. But now you see it isolated uh, on a baseball reference page. And it looks like a real thing that happened. And not just like what happened to transpire in the first 60 games or 58 games or whatever it was of, of a baseball season. And so... Uh, yeah, this is not, this, don't be worried about the Mets runners in scoring position batting average after four games. Like, God, I'm sorry. It makes me so frustrated because I've been talking about this for like 13 years and it's like, when will I get this through to me? I'm sorry. I, I cannot think of Emilio Bonifacio without thinking of your song. He is the, he is the, the face. Although, uh, what's that guy? Cadillac, oh, Mercedes. I called him Cadillac. Uh, the guy in the... the do you know the guy I'm talking about? We went like eight for eight to oh, your start mean, the season. Oh, your mean Mercedes with Chicago yeah, with the White Sox. He's he's maybe he'll be the new Emilio Bonifacio. <laughs> Emilio Bonifacio. 
because uh, you know I I don't know that he's going to be a 556 hitter this year. I uh, you know I think what do you think has a likelier chance of happening? Dominic Smith hitting his 75 home runs, uh, or your mean Mercedes hitting 500? Smith. Um, obviously, I mean, well, Dominic Smith at least has major league track record. Like it was, it was like his like his first three major league baseball games. He he only got hits. Um, or whatever it was like, that's, that's, a, that's pretty incredible. Good for him. Uh, congratulations. Probably not going to last. Uh, it's probably a small sample size. Uh, he does wear number 73, which was my number in high school football. So I appreciate that. He seems dedicated to it. It's part of his Twitter handle. Was, was 70, did Kenny Rogers wear 73 with the Mets or was that somewhere else? Uh, I don't think he did. I know Rick, Ricardo Rincon was always number 73. Um, and he wore it with the Mets. Uh, I don't feel like, I feel like, why do I feel like Kenny Rogers wore, did he wear 99 with the Mets? No, I'm looking it up. He did wear 73 with the Mets. Oh, I must have. Uh, I he, mean, was, that was, he was 37 most everywhere else. Uh-huh, except the yeah. Yankees. But. This is a familiar thing for me. I was always 37 or 73. Um, so shout out to Kenny Rogers for that, but not for uh, <laughs> how that, how his one, how his tenure in, in the Mets, black, orange, and, and blue ended. Yeah, let's not let's not speak of that again. I was watching in a Braves fan's dorm room. Um, <laughs> it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good. Uh, we got a one question from a reader before we go, and I don't know if I have an answer for this, but it's from Robin at MetFan35 on Twitter. She says, you know, she's she's referring. This is from a few days ago. She's talking about uh, JD Davis, and and we we talked about the hesitation some of the Mets players expected about the vaccines. Um, how she wants to know how will Major League Baseball address scheduling changes if necessary due to any side effects of the shots received in season? Do you have an answer? Yeah, so I think most teams like the like the Mets on Thursday uh, are planning those those shots around off days. So the Mets, you know, like the the uh, Yankees, I think did it after a, a game where they had an off day the following day. That's what the Astros did before the season. That's what the Cardinals did before the season. That's what the Mets. That's why the Mets planned uh, the, their first shots. Uh, on Thursday, they're getting the Pfizer vaccine uh, on Thursday after the game so that any, you know, any side effects they felt would be today when they're not playing. Um, I don't, you know, and three weeks from now when they would be getting their second shots, they have two off days. Uh, they have a Monday and a Thursday off day around uh, two home games against the Red Sox. So my guess would be that they would vaccinate some of the guys. Uh, they give some second shots on Sunday. Uh, so that some people would deal with side effects on Monday if they had them, and other guys on Wednesday night after the game so that they would deal with it on the Thursday off day. That would be my assumption of what the plan is. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, I think from what I've heard anecdotally, uh, and I'm not sure exactly what the, the science says, but I don't think there's really the expectation that those side effects would last longer than the 24 to 36 hours you would have between getting the shot and the next game. Uh, I don't think teams are, are really too concerned about like eight guys being unavailable because they're they're dealing with flu-like symptoms. Right. Uh, and I don't think Major League Baseball would, would do much to change that. We've seen teams have outbreaks of the flu uh, before. I, I covered one uh, in Boston one year where they had like six guys on the disabled list at the time when because that happens, of the flu. And, and COVID made me think of this too. Is when that Whenever that happens, because that happens in spring training every year too, there'll be like one team that everybody gets sick. And then... Whenever you're the, whenever you're next in a baseball clubhouse, you start looking around. You're just like, oh right, like this is the most contagion friendly atmosphere I've ever entered. It's just like 
crammed with sweaty people and dirty laundry and it's never properly ventilated and just like just this like you could just feel like the the all the viruses and bacteria flourishing in there yeah it it made me not really want to be in the red sox clubhouse for a little while i remember talking to someone with like the uh Rhode Island State Department of Health. And my last question was like, so let's say you were occupying the same physical space <laughs> as people who were undergoing a flu outbreak. Like what different precautions might you take? Just given that hypothetical. Uh, but I got through it without getting the flu and the Red Sox got through it too. I think they went to the playoffs that year. So uh, yeah, it, and it I would say to re- in the end and, ho- and hopefully it's, it's all the same with, with the vaccines. I, we don't know yet how many of the Mets players got it. They tweeted uh, a picture of a few players getting it, uh, getting their first shot. Uh, we'll find out along the way, I guess, if they get to the 85% mark that would allow them to loosen restrictions. Uh, the soonest that would happen is is five weeks from now. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, first or second week of May. Uh, but it would be really nice if the team got to that point and so that they could live kind of a, a slightly more normal existence. Uh, and maybe sometime in 2021, uh, reporters would be able to speak to them in person rather than just always over Zoom. Because obviously that's what they're in it for is uh, talking to people like us. But to, just to, to Robin's question is, and again, I mentioned this last time, like I, I got the Pfizer vaccine, I got both shots and I had little to no side effects. Um, my body obviously is not as finely tuned as a major league baseball player's, but it is not um, as finely shaped either. And so I would say like, it's a, it's a mild concern. I'm, uh, as I mentioned before, my wife got, got the side effects pretty bad. I don't think she would have been able to play a baseball game. I, the day after the day of, I would have been good to play nine very poorly, but I would have been fine to do it. And so, you know, I would think that it would be, it would take like a, a something very unexpected and probably just a lot of really bad luck if so many Mets had side effects so strongly that it affected the outcome of even one game. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone expects that to happen really for any team. Like we've seen other teams get it and then not have uh, other teams have gotten like the one dose uh, Johnson and Johnson shot that, you know, that, you know, the side effects are worse, like the last dose of, of either of them uh, generally. Uh, and we haven't seen any, any issues with that so far. And I think like it's it's the type of thing where you hear when people have bad side effects, but people who don't have bad side effects don't really feel the need to mention because you kind of just forget. And so, you know, it seems like the type of thing where you hear a lot of horror stories, but I think that those horror stories are not like it's not necessarily the experience you're going to have where you're going to have a 102 fever or anything, because uh, I can tell you because that was not my experience. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad you are leading us through this this path. You have the personal experience that I hope to have very soon. Uh, and I got to tell you, the, the doorknobs have never tasted sweeter. <laughs> finally able finally able to get back to doing what just, you love. Just, I'm just out licking surfaces in public. It's always been my thing. And, you know, it's been a rough year for me. But uh, now I'm, I'm back at it. And, and it is it feels great. It feels great. If you have a question for the Metrospective podcast, please email me at asktedberg at gmail.com or tweet it at us at Tim Britton or at OG Ted Berg. Uh, if you haven't yet, please rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere where you can do those things to podcasts. Uh, we very, very much appreciate it. We will be back next week. And ideally, the Mets will have some wins we'll feel better about. Can I say that confidently? Uh, I mean, we'll be doing this after three more games. So hopefully they will have at least one more win uh, that does not 
come controversially. Does not feel lousy. Um, Tim, as always, thank you so much for joining the show that you co-host. I don't know. I, I, it's okay to thank you, right? I can thank you for talking to me. I don't get a lot of human interaction. Adios. Peace. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.